Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, back off my holidays to everyone's, I don't know, rapturous applause maybe. Can I <laughs> Great have some? there, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, turf, turf James back out after one week hosting after some pretty bad reviews. Um, <laughs> um, so my personal inbox saying, Steve, where are you? My fan club just got onto me and said, where are you? Where are you? Come back. <laughs> All don't, two of them. Yeah, yeah. don't let James... One of them was his nan trying to kick him out of his house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, James, James has disappeared again. Um, he'll probably turn up when he's bored and wants to podcast again. Uh, but I'm joined by Carol Petz. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. As we take another look at some films we've seen in the last week or so. Um... But what happened in the quiz while I was away? I won. No, that's a lie. And <laughs> that is a lie. I and won. everyone has to watch Run for Your Wife as punishment. <laughs> what? What? Who? Who was the answer to the quiz? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, who was the answer? That's a good question. Oh, it was Mar- Marion Cotillard. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So, would you have got it, Steve? Uh, it all depends on what the clues were. You? You mean you didn't listen? No. Oh. <laughs> well, if we can't even expect, you know, if you can't even listen to your own podcast, how can you expect other people to listen to it? I don't listen, it? I don't listen to this shit. Well, I don't <laughs> listen to it when I'm on it, but, uh, you know, I do listen when I'm not. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. quiz time where Carol could clinch the title and make <laughs> us watch Run For Your Wife. Shall, shall I tell him, I didn't really win. No, she didn't. <laughs> I won. I have, you know. I very it's rarely win a point, so you can't steal that one from me. <laughs> so, <laughs> apparently, Ka- Carol, Carol 2, Owen 1. No. No, other no. way around. <laughs> you haven't won that many, have you, Owen? Two? Yeah. How very dare you? <laughs> of course I have. You're usually, you're usually rubbish at this point. I am usually terrible. I'm, I'm even worse. Right, so. So <laughs> Owen, could, Owen could clinch a victory there and make us watch some awful film, no doubt. It's unlikely, but yes, possibly. Anyway, I'm going to go back as far as 1993 for the first one in a film called Century. Nope, no idea. Pass. In 1994, he was in a TV film called An Evening with Gary Lineker. <coughs> um, <laughs> that was I a film. That. Yeah, I remember that. It was, I a, it was a TV film, so it was basically yeah. an hour and a bit long TV program. Used to always be on before, the, just before the World Cup. Uh, Who know. was in it then? I don't know. That's Owen, Vinnie Jones. 
No, it's not Vinnie Jones. No. Still in his playing career back then and not into acting <laughs> as of yet. Uh, 1996, this person was in The Rich Man's Wife. No idea. And in 2001, they were in Gosford Park. Um. No. Mm-mm. Still no idea. Uh, in 2002, they were in The Born Identity. <sighs> Clive Owen? Owen, it is Clive Owen. Oh, oh yes! <laughs> or if you're, uh, Cole Pil- if you're a Cole Pilkington, Clive Warren. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. Oh, I'm who trying. the hell was he in Gosford Park? He was, he was the, um, I've never seen <laughs> Gosford Park. No. He was, I believe, the owner of the park, Robert Parks. Oh, it, it says here. It says here. <laughs> yeah. Also in oh, Closer no. and King Arthur and Sin City and, and lots of things since the Born Identity really. Seems to yeah, not very good in any of them either. Just playing himself really. Yeah. How do you know you've never met him? I, well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, how yeah, do you yeah, know? Yeah. So um, <laughs> Owen, you've won. What are you going to make us watch? Uh, I'll have a think and then I'll get back to you a bit later in the podcast. Okay. Keeping yeah. everyone... In suspense. suspense. The master of suspense, that's what they call me. I literally cannot wait to find out what I'm going to have to watch. Uh, Okay, so on to the news then. And uh, Toronto Film Festival has happened. And then they picked their favourite films at that festival, didn't they, Owen? Yes, they did. And uh, the People's Choice Award, so that's kind of like the the best film at the festival. All Uh, all I keep thinking when I hear people... People's Choice Awards is like Kids' Choice Awards for like Nickelodeon and things. <laughs> yeah, it'd be much better if they actually did get slimed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it slimed or is it gunged? I, uh, believe, uh, I believe the politically correct term is gunged. Why is that politically correct? I don't know. <laughs> did 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 Slimer like rise up and complain against it? <laughs> it's offensive to <laughs> Ghostbusters fans. <laughs> I don't find it offensive. Some of my best friends are Ghostbusters fans. <laughs> <laughs> or has anyway. Dave Benson Phillips copyrighted the term uh, gunged? I think that's a more likely explanation. Yeah. Dave Benson Phillips is not Sean Wright Phillips' dad. No. No. So, <laughs> just to clear that up for everyone who, Good. who might be a fan of football and or children's television from uh, the 90s. Anyway, Owen, films and stuff from Canada. Films and stuff from Canada, yeah. So the uh, the Imitation Game won the People's Choice Award and uh, Benedict Cumberpatch managed to avoid uh, gunging. Um, <laughs> basically, he plays a scientist who's um, trying to crack a Nazi Germany enigma code um, during the World War. Gets a bit persecuted for his sort of homosexuality and stuff like that, so... Um, quite a deep film, I think, but also, apparently, a really good one. And it's also going to be showing at the London Film Festival, and I believe, Carol, it's, it's the opening film, isn't it? The Imitation yes, Game? it is the opening gala film this uh, this year. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to see it, uh, but I think it's out on, on wide release not very long afterwards. Of, of course, the last film that kind of looked at the Enigma Code breaking... Uh, was U571, which gave the Americans all the credit for breaking the code. Actually, I think it was probably Enigma. 
Did that one give all the, the Americans all the credit again? No, it didn't. No, you're quite right. No, that that I think that one actually gave it to us. Uh, but yeah, U571 featuring John Bon Jovi. Was he in that? Yeah, he was. I think he was one of the... Wasn't he like the... I don't know. What do you call someone who drives a uh, submarine? I don't know. A submarine driver. A obviously, submarine obviously, driver. Obviously. <laughs> obviously, obviously. Submariner. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think he was the guy who kind of drove it, for, for want of a better word, drove the submarine. Uh, it, it was, you know, yeah, exactly. He wasn't very memorable in it, was he? But yeah, it did give us, it did give the Americans all the credit, and we weren't very happy. But we haven't done anything about it yet. Yet. We need to find a big part in American history where we can start making films and taking credit for all of it. Well, they don't have much, do they? That's the problem. No. Mm. You know, like, their their historic buildings are, like, 50 years old. <laughs> I believe that's an Eddie Izzard joke from a long, long time ago. <laughs> 60 years old now, then. 60 years <laughs> yeah. old, yeah. Pro- possibly 70. Pushing 70 yeah. now. Anyway, back back on topic, Owen. What else is <laughs> going on with the film festival? Um, what else went on with the film festival? Um, well, the other films that have been nominated, I, I honestly don't really know much about it. The, the first runner-up is something called Learning to Drive. Which, all I know about that is it's got Ben Kingsley in it, so that's automatically sort of a bonus to me. Um, but aside from that, St. Vincent um, was also one of the runners-up. Uh, there was a few documentaries that have got a lot of praise over there at the minute. Documentary winner, uh, Beats of the Antonov, I think it's called. Again, one I know nothing about, but I just keep hearing the name, so... You know, seems to have um, been another successful Toronto Film Festival, as they always seem to be. Um, nearly 400 films were shown there. Um, I don't know how many are shown at the London Film Festival, but, but I think it's close to the same amount. Mm, so. I think it's about 250. Oh, is it 250? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn it. We'll get there eventually. Well, we'll beat yeah, the one Canadians. Day. <laughs> but but uh, it's worth mentioning, I think, that... Um, with their beady little eyes, Owen. <laughs> and they're flapping heads. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning that um, uh, the the winner of the People's Choice Award, uh, by the way, quite frequently goes on to win the Best Picture film at the Oscars. It's one of the it's one of the best predictors of mm. the um, of the Best Picture Oscar because previous winners or recent winners have been included the Queen uh, the King's Speech rather, um, Slung Dog Millionaire and Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, so it does have quite a good pedigree. Uh, especially recently. So, yeah, lump your money on... What was it, the one? The Imitation <laughs> the, Im- the Imitation, yeah, that one. Lump your money on that for Best Oscar now. Probably get better pricing if you do it nearer the time. Uh, betting fans. I know James often spends a load of money betting on the Oscars and losing it all. Yeah, and I That's got true. every single... I'm going to bring this out every time we talk about Oscar predictions. I got every single choice right and I didn't bet on any of them. I'm still gutted about that. Uh, yeah. You boast about it. I do. I boast about it every <laughs> single time anyone mentions the Oscars. And there you yeah. go. Hum- uh, humble brag without any actual thing. Without to any bragging. bragging yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other news, and Carol can exclusively, not exclusively, let's just pretend it's exclusive, uh, break <laughs> a synopsis, uh, that word, for the <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron film. Yeah, I've got a, a summary of the uh, of, of Avengers: Age of Ultron, which got, which got released uh, yesterday, and it's got everyone really excited. Uh, it, it, I can exclusively reveal via IGN and other sources uh, that uh, it's going to uh, basically it's going to kick off when Tony Stark tries to jumpstart a dormant peacekeeping program. Things will go awry 
And that's very, that's very interesting because, uh, what with Ant-Man coming up, um, it's basically probably going to be probably Hank Pym's, uh, like, uh, program that they're jump starting and that's gonna lead to Ultron and it's all gonna, it's all gonna be very, it's basically gonna go how it should go, to be honest. But every, uh, everyone thought that, because Hank Pym obviously in the comics created Ultron, everyone thought that wasn't gonna be the case in the film because he's yet to be introduced, but they seem to have not be the case. They seem to have got round it, because Hank Pym, I think, is, is the Michael Douglas character who's going to be, yeah. you know, like, back in the uh, back in the day, basically. So, prob- so we're probably going to get some flashbacks to this, and then get the full story from Ant-Man, which would have made sense, to be honest, to release Ant-Man first, if that's going to be the case, but there we go. If you're going to refer to things that haven't even happened yet... <laughs> But uh, there we go. So yeah, it's quite exciting. At least it's not going to be Jarvis going bad because I don't, I don't think anyone could bear that. Jarvis mm. is brilliant. Um, yes. So um, there's going to be a big cast for that, isn't there? There's a, there's a lot of of characters, which is. I mean, I know we've had a lot of characters in kind of the new X Men films as well uh, and the original Avengers. But there's more. How are they going to get everyone in and have satisfactory screen time and not kind of Make it'll it be, a bit shit. It'll be a four-hour epic. That's what it's going to be. Oh, that'd be amazing. Because they've got obviously they've got obviously <laughs> the, the Avengers from the the first film. Plus they've got apparently Falcon's going to be in it. War Machine's going to be in it. The Quicksilver Quick are going to be in it. Plus um, they'll have all the the, the uh, there's going to be a bit of Hank Pym in there by the sound of it somewhere. Possibly, yeah. Uh, possibly Hawkeye. Yeah, possibly Hawkeye having more of a role. Although Fury, yeah. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that worried. I don't think. Um, I don't think Iron Man's going to be in it half as much as he was in the first one, and that takes up an awful lot of screen time. So uh, I'm. I'm not overly concerned about Joss Whedon's ability to to sort out an ensemble. I I did do remember having this uh, conversation with someone before Days of Future Past was released, and and I said, you know, it's not going to be. You're just going to have like the the old cast bookending it, beginning and end, like ten minutes, mm. and then the main the main thrust is going to be like the '60s characters, and it and it worked perfect. Well, pretty much perfectly, except for Storm, but <laughs> and except for Rogue getting cut out. But um, yeah, like by and large, it worked really well. So I'm not I'm not overly concerned about it. I'm sure this has been. I'm sure this has been sin too. I do, I do wish that Hawkeye would have a bigger role in this one though, because I think he's been massively underused, considering he's the only one not to have his actual own, oh, sorry, he's one, him and Black Widow haven't had their own, um, their own solo one yet, but mm. she's been in two spin-offs already, and Hawkeye was in Thor, but only for about 30 seconds. I think he must be having a bigger part, because Jeremy Renner was moaning one year after the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't so, blame him, really. No, mm. but if, if, if he wasn't going to get a bigger or better part or role in this one, then he probably would have just jacked it in. I don't know whether his contract will allow that. <laughs> but they've just had a um, a really massive success with uh, the Hawkeye solo book, uh, Marvel. It's been going mm. for about two years. It's been one of the better received ones that they've had out in that time. So hopefully they're going to turn him more into that sort of character, which would be quite good, because mm. that, that was a pretty good book. It was, yeah. Okay, well that's all for the news then, and all for part one. In part two, we'll have what we've been watching. Part two then, where we take a look at what we have seen, either film or television, in the last week or so, that isn't necessarily a new release. Owen has seen 
what is possibly a cult classic, The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Uh, for the first yeah. time ever. Yeah, and, and I know it shouldn't be a surprise that someone would like The Breakfast Club. Um, I think I've kind of got a bit of a reputation anyway for not liking some popular kind of feel-good films anyway. Um, but The Breakfast Club, directed by um, John Hughes, it sort of fits the bill of one of those films that's a feel-good movie that I might not like. Um, but before I go on to that, I'll just explain the story. Spare a group of kids in a detention, um, held in detention, on a Saturday. So they're brought in on a Saturday, and it's um, they're all forced to kind of write an essay defining who they really are. And of course, the five of them are all a bit kind of like stereotypical high schoolers, so you've got the jock... Uh, played by Emilio Estevez, you've got the geek, who's, um, played by Anthony Michael Hall, the popular one, um, the weird loner girl, the rebellious no hoper, all those kind of characters, and they're all, through the course of the 90 minute movie that takes place, um, over eight hours, um, they all go through something of a self-identity crisis. Uh, and I know for a fact, James loves John Hughes. He's talked about it on the podcast before, he's, he's, lo- he loves jo- John Hughes, loved all his April, um, and subsequently, The Breakfast Club too. He loves The Breakfast Club. And yeah, it, it is such a good movie. I was really surprised and really relieved. Um, I didn't en- expect to enjoy it half as much as I did in the end. Because it's, it's just so much fun. Um, it's got a lot of self-awareness about it. The characters are just kind of like a pleasure to just spend 90 minutes with. Um, plays up to these high school reputations that the characters has. Plays up to these stereotypes. Uh, on the face of it, but then you know, deep down, or oh, everyone just conforms to these high school reputations, and even if deep down they're actually a different, unique individual in their own rights, it's how they pro- project themselves to their peers and that kind of thing, and why do they do it? But it's also, I mean, I don't think it gets that philosophical or deep about human being or, or anything like that. Um, it's it, you know the whole sort of finding themselves business. It kind it is. It slightly irritated me at times, um, you know, the way they reveal why they're in detention and explain how they're not who they seem and so on and so forth. It's a little bit tacky, um, but overall though, it was just a really nice, it was easy to watch, enjoyable movie, and I can't really believe I've never seen it before, particularly when I was younger. I'm sure, like most people who saw it when they were... Um, you know, early teens, and it was just their coming of age sort of film. It probably meant a lot more to them, and I can I feel sort of jealous now that I missed out on that. Um, yeah, so I, the Breakfast Club was it was great. I really enjoyed it, uh, and it also prompted me to sort of rewatch a few other mid eighties comedies. So most recently, I started to watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, on oh, Sunday for the first time. I've seen it in eons, ages. I, I can't remember the last time I watched it, and I think actually it held up quite well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, The Breakfast Club, thoroughly enjoyable, good movie. One of the best sort of mid-80s teen comedies, really. But yeah, really enjoyed it. Good. Uh, I've seen uh, a film that was spoke about in my absence uh, before I go to sleep. Um, who saw that then? Who saw that? And I think all three that? of us then have seen yeah. it, haven't we? Yeah, we've all seen yeah. it then. Um, yes, yeah, so it stars... Uh, Nicole Kidman, Colin Firth, Mark Strong. Nicole Kidman plays a woman called Christine who had an accident and um, every time she goes to sleep she wakes up the next morning with no memory of her life at all prior to, uh, you know, since the accident. Uh, has to be reminded of it every day 
by her husband. I thought it was good, not great, but it was certainly watchable. It wasn't really, I kind of got, not dragged to see it, but it wasn't kind of a film that I particularly wanted to see. Um, but I did enjoy it. I did find Nicole Kidman very good in it. Um, certainly played the part of somebody who was trying to piece back her, her memory together very well. Because everyone at some point in the film is perceived as a bad guy. Well, yeah. no, because you're, you're totally, that's why Mark Strong is there, isn't it? Let's be honest. Exactly. You're totally expecting him to be the bad guy. And for oh, a little while, you know, he does come across as a bad guy. But so does yeah. Colin Firth, and then so does, you know, everyone else in our life. So it's kind of... I mean, yeah. the, the, the twists in the story are good, um, and they are, to an extent, unpredictable. They were to me anyway. Um, I don't know about everyone else who saw it. Well, they won't be for anyone who's listening to the podcast who's not seen it, though. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been out a while now, hasn't it? So. <laughs> yeah, it's a couple of weeks. <laughs> Shocking. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it doesn't seem like you've had too much of, um, too, too different a reaction to the rest of us, though, Steve. I think we kind of all felt it was a bit, it was alright. Yeah, alright, good, but quite forgettable like, straight away. It's not kind of making me think yeah. about it too much since then. Uh, like Ray Yane on your wedding day. It's ironic, <laughs> you're just going to forget about it. Yeah. Never mind, Steve. Never mind. <laughs> Carry on. As you were. Is quoting Alanis Morissette become a thing since I've been away, or is it? It is when we discuss this film. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember any of the other bits of that, uh, that no. song. Um, Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Um, <laughs> something about, um, something when you're already late. Oh, I can't yeah. remember the, yeah. <laughs> I, I've not got her back catalogue on iTunes or anything. No. I must have not, not quite Ed Byrne, are we? Together. I mean, <laughs> we've not got that routine nailed down. Maybe for the next podcast. Maybe, but I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> uh, the other thing I've, I've seen is Orphan Black, which I keep wanting to call Orphan is the New Black, which is obviously wrong, but it just keeps coming into my head every time I see the title. So it's just, that's just me and my brain not working properly. Um, well, it's Orphan Black, which is a... I didn't really realise this. I thought it was a, a BBC production or, BB, you know... It's been shown on BBC Three over here, hasn't it? Yeah. I didn't realise it's a Canadian um, Canadian production, um, but it is. Uh, it stars somebody called Tatiana Maslany, and it's about clones, basically. She's a, she's a uh, an English girl living in America... Um, who witnesses somebody kill herself, who is her doppelganger, and then it's slowly revealed throughout the first couple of episodes that she has been part of a kind of human cloning experiment. Uh, and there are, from where I'm up to, probably five or six clones, uh, which means she's playing five or six different characters, either as a, as a large part or a small part, which is, which is quite impressive, because she does it really well. Um, it's certainly not kind of, playing five or six parts like Eddie Murphy does in some of his worst films. I'm just yeah. trying to think of other examples of people playing multiple parts. Van Damme, Steve, Van Damme, of course. <laughs> always, always Van films. Damme. Yeah. <laughs> I don't watch enough of his stuff to be honest. So. Okay, that's it. I've got an idea for what we're going to watch then, or what you're going to watch. <laughs> kick, kick Puncher or something, is it? Kick <laughs> Puncher, oh my god. <laughs> 
<laughs> this rate, you're going to have to watch my entire DVD collection. Have you only got Van Damme films in it? Mostly. Van Damme and Korean <laughs> films. Van, Van, loads of Korean films and loads of Van Damme films. What else could I possibly want? Um, but yes, yeah, so I can't really give away too much about Orphan Black because I've already given away enough spoilers about other things there and I'll just get shouted at by people again. Um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. worth watching. It's on Netflix. It's probably going to be on iPlayer as well as it was shown on BBC3. It's probably going to be on there as well. Uh, definitely worth a watch. I think the second series is due to start soon as well. Uh, or early next year. Um, Carol, what have you seen then? Uh, well, not in cinemas this week. I have finally got around to taking the cellophane off. My eagerly awaited, mastered in 4K, should be a Criterion collection release, but isn't. Blu-ray copy of Ghostbusters 2, Blu-ray debut for this film. And so I've watched that, uh, actually just this evening. Uh, managed to squeeze it in before we started recording. And, uh, you know, it's not that bad a film, really. Come on, it's, it's alright. <laughs> people I like people it. hate this film. It's structurally identical to the first one, but yeah. people still hate it. Like it, it is literally you can you can actually sit and you can actually point out the you know ticket off the list. Like oh yeah, there's a right okay, there's a pre-credit sequence with a spooky thing happening. Check. There's a meeting with the mayor. Check. There's people in prison. Check. There's something big like walking down the road. Check. And, you know, but, you know, it's, it's it's not that bad. If it was just a film on its own, people would love it a lot more, I think. I think it's just because it is a sequel to the the best film ever made. And it doesn't quite kind of match those standards that uh, that people don't like it so much. But, you know, it's all right. And Statue of Liberty walking down the road is just, like, one of the best things ever. Yeah. To Jackie Wilson, just one of the best things ever. And it's got a great soundtrack as well. I was listening to soundtrack yesterday. <laughs> Brilliant AT soundtrack with uh, Bobby Brown and and others. But uh yeah, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not a dreadful film, I think. I think people do give it a bad a bad deal just because it is a sequel uh which is a I mean it is an inferior quality sequel, but uh that's that's not necessarily a a, a bad thing when the original was so good. Um yeah, everyone's pretty much like spot on. It's a good baddie. I, I always remember people being more scared of Vigo than they were of Mr. Stay Puft. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, no, I used to find him terrifying. You would hate my... Uh, as I sit in my lounge and look to my right, I've actually got that painting on my wall. I got it as a Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it now, thankfully. Took a few years. <laughs> it's constantly looking looking over me. I'm thinking about hanging it up in the bathroom. I think it would be even funnier in there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a dreadful film. And the Blu-ray, um, the Blu-ray transfer is actually really nice. It does go a bit funny in, in some parts, but on the whole, it's really nice and really crisp and clear. And the sound is really, really good. That was actually what, what stuck out to me the most was the sound. Fantastic. So if you're a fan, I think, yeah, this is the first time it's been on Blu-ray. I think you can buy it separately from the first one, but why would you want to? Uh, just go out and go get the, the two of them on 4K and they're about, I think I've got them for about 12 quid for the pair. Can't argue with that. You can't indeed, no. So that's all then for uh, what we've been watching. Uh, up next we've got some new release reviews. Time now then for our new release uh, reviews. First up is 
Pride, uh, seen by Carol, and here's a clip. That then was a clip of Pride. Uh, Carol, tell us about the film and what you thought of it. Well, uh, Pride is the story of um, a group of uh, lesbian and gay men and ladies who, um, during the minor strike of 1984, decide that uh, because basically they're not being picked on by the police and the press anymore and it's the miners that are instead, they decide to show solidarity with the miners and, and go and um, raise money for them and, and you know support them in their cause. Uh, I, Steve, I, I think you were probably in the minor strike, weren't you? You're quite, quite old. I'm probably not, no. I'm <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think any of us actually remember just, the minor strike, unfortunately. J- James probably does. He's, J- he's, James might do. He's well old. He's well um, old. <laughs> proper old. But, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, bas- basically when I was about, you know, two years old, yeah, this, this strike was going on. Uh, and it was causing causing a lot of fuss. It went on for over a year in the end, I think. Um, well, probably bloody Thatcher, something like that. It, yeah, there yeah. is a bit of bloody Thatcher right at the beginning. You get some uh, get some news footage, just basically saying, "Oh, this this is bad. That Thatcher is bad." Uh, but you know, we we'll, we won't go into that. I don't. We, think. we don't really need a film to tell us that, do we? Well, no, uh, we don't. Stole um, all our bloody milk. <laughs> I do remember that, but anyway, I digress. Um, so yeah, they turn up. Um, they they basically pick a village, a mining village, out of the atlas. Uh, don't know if anyone remembers those. And it's, uh, like, it's like people it's who like don't. Google yeah, Maps. for people who don't remember atlases, it's like Google Maps but in a book, printed out. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It's like Google, it's like Google Maps if it if it were a book but not on a Kindle, like an actual proper book. Yeah, like with pages and everything. Yeah, made of, made of paper. <laughs> and grid lines. Mm. Yeah, so they yeah. turn up uh, to this Welsh mining village, and, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, the hilarity ensues with the culture clash, obviously, because, you know, a little mining village, and there's all these kind of flamboyant gay and lesbian people turn up from from that London. That and, there uh, London. That there London. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hilarity ensues, and, and sometimes not hilarity. But um, actually, it? it was... Really good. I really enjoyed it. I'm not a massive, massive fan of kind of, uh, you know, a lot of these kind of Brit comedy things just leave me a little bit cold, to be honest. Um, I remember there was a similar, not a similar thing, but um, I think Brastoff had a similar vein of of uh, story going through it, and that just kind of, you know, it, it's okay, but, you know, it's a bit heavy-handed. And this is a bit heavy-handed, but it gets away with it. It's it's so likable, and the people are so likable. You know, the, the actors uh, and the characters are so likable that you know you you just can't help but get a bit swept along. There are a couple of kind of odd bits in there. Um, one of the flamboyant gay men decides to win everyone over by by performing a massively camp dance routine, 
I thought everyone was just going to kind of bundle on him and start beating him up, but apparently no, everyone was like really happy with it and started clapping, and I thought that was a bit a bit odd. I'm not sure that's how I'd win over loads of Welsh miners, but, um, does, but there we does go. Does it sound like they did their research by going to a Welsh mining village in the 80s and seeing what it's really like? No, that's, that's not really dedication, is it? If you no. can't be bothered to go back just in any, the Orient. It's just any Welsh mining village, isn't it? You haven't got to go back to the 80s. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so, you know, it, yeah, there is a, obviously a, quite a serious message in there. And I think it was quite interesting from my perspective, because obviously, as I said, I don't really remember any of this, um, any of this, uh, time of, uh, time, time in history where basically ordinary people were getting, well, uh, messed around, basically, um, even more so than they are now, you know, this, this was properly, this is properly heavy times for miners. Uh, and not just miners, of course, there was a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so from that point of view, it was quite, quite interesting. And also, from the whole, I mean, obviously, I do remember, uh, a lot of antagonism towards gay people. Uh, so, you know, that wasn't anything, that wasn't news to me. But kind of seeing it up on the screen was quite, quite shocking, really. Because I think we kind of forget sometimes, the the world we live in now we can't you know you kind of forget what people have had to go through to get to this point and uh you know so that that yeah parts of that was quite shocking um but yeah it was it, it's very it's very enjoyable altogether uh some really good performances i thought Paddy Constein was really good but then he's really good in everything to mm. be honest isn't he um and some of the uh some of the newcomers who shamefully i can't actually remember their names at the moment but um yeah, it's quite a lot of kind of uh, up and coming actors, and they were pretty good. Uh, Melda Staunton's obviously quite good as well. Um, there's a lad in there called uh, George Mackay, who plays the person who we kind of go through the whole film with him. He's just about to come out, and he goes and joins his first Pride March, and he's trying to keep it from his parents, and you know all that. So he's got all the associated drama. Uh, he's pretty good. So, yeah, it was just, yeah, a really fun film, and it does, you know, obviously make you think, and it makes you, I would think it would probably make you hark back to that time as well, if you were old enough to remember it. Uh, but yeah, recommended. I think it's about two, two hours long, but it doesn't, doesn't really feel that long. And, uh, yeah, pretty good. It looks a lot like, and I know it's been compared to that sort of thing before, but like Full Monty, you know, just kind of heartwarming British comedy drama. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing when I was saying it kind of leaves me cold a bit. I didn't, I, I thought about saying the full Monty, but I didn't want to because I do quite like the full Monty. But that kind of general, there's a, mm. there's a, a very British niche for over earnest comedy films that have like a serious message that's hammered home so hard, you know, that it kind of drowns out the comedy sometimes. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think a full Monty. And a bit cheeky probably, as well, isn't it? I mean, that's the kind of. Oh yeah, well British if you seen the humor, kinda. yeah, if you seen yeah. the trailer, you'll know that they don't they don't really mess about with <laughs> with the cheekiness. It's a fifteen for a reason. <laughs> okay. But um, but yeah, I think Full Monty's probably an, a reasonable comparison to make. Yeah, if you if you like the Full Monty, you'll probably really enjoy this. Okay, and Owen, you have seen a man most wanted. Close. I've seen a most wanted man. The most wanted uh. man. Um, <laughs> That's the uh, sequel. We haven't got there yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm not having a good podcast today. Am I? <laughs> just you just back those. off while I, uh, yeah, you're allowed a little bit of a uh, respite. Yeah. Um, it was only the first, it was probably the first proper 
weekly podcast I've missed, I think, so I've done quite well, and I'm allowed a bit of leeway. Anyway, Owen, talk about the film about a man who was wanted by most people. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just going to start off first by saying, um, I usually enjoy like reading Callum's reviews on the site, but I don't often agree with the majority of what he says. However... That's, that's, a, that's a lot, because he writes some long articles. As good as they are, they are <laughs> long. So if you're disagreeing you know, with the majority, you're disagreeing with a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a good point. However, however, uh, I did find it hard to disagree with vast amounts of what he said about a most wanted man in his review. Um, I'll come on to, to what I mean in a minute. Um, I mean, it stars Philip Seymour Hoffman in, in what is essentially going to be his final film as a lead actor. Um, I believe. Uh, I think he's in like the Hunger Games films that are coming out, but I don't think he's got a really sort of a major part in those. Um, but anyway, he plays a German spy in Hamburg tracking a low-level potential terrorist threat. He is some homeless uh, Muslim Chechen guy uh, seeking asylum in the city in Hamburg. Um, it, well, and obviously Hamburg is where Al Qaeda planned their 9/11 attack, so it's got quite a bit of significance, and everything's always on like high alert there. Um, so yeah, anyway, so Philip Seymour Hoffman as this spy, he manipulates everyone around him, uh, including colleagues, uh, into what he hopes will lead him to a higher level threat above this sort of low level Chechen guy. So what Callum basically said was that it was a very good looking film, um, but emotionally shallow, I think. So he said that he couldn't connect with it because it was too cold, that he likes to be invested emotionally on a deeper level than just admiration. And I think it's fair to say that, well, we'll we all like to discover movies that, that move us emotionally one way or the other. Um, and I can totally agree with him on that point. However, but personally, I, I don't need that with every film I watch. I don't need to be fully invested emotionally to enjoy a film. Um, and some films do... St- do well to steer clear of just making their characters into, um, well, into sort of movie characters, if you like, typical movie characters who pull the right sort of chords and eventually make you, you know, make you cry or make you laugh and it's all a bit sort of trite and bored and I'm tired of that kind of thing. So, it, 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 yeah, so, you know, the thing about Hoffman's character in A Most Wanted Man is he himself is very emotionally distant from everyone around him. So it's kind of natural that you would have the same reaction to him and his story. Um, so he drifts through his job, um, not really getting attached to anything but his own work. You know, he's one of these characters who's a man who goes to extraordinary lengths to achieve his targets. Uh, like all good spies, I suppose, he trusts no one in doing so, uh, particularly his sort of American colleagues. Um, so yeah, so for that reason, I don't think you're meant to be connecting with him on a kind of emotional level. So I can totally see why Callum and quite a few other people just won't enjoy this film straight away. That's not to say there's anything wrong with that. That's Everyone watches films for different reasons and everyone wants something different out of a film. Um, but he's totally right when he says you're going to struggle to get emotionally invested in this person and the people around him. Um, because beyond admiring how well-crafted it is, uh, which is just completely undeniable, by the way, and another point I, I agree with him. You know, it look, um, it looks, it sounds, uh, brilliant. It shifts from scene to scene in quite an exquisite manner, actually. It's just one of these very 
Uh, it's slow-paced, but it just doesn't feel slow-paced. So the only problem is that the characters are not really any more than just people in a film. You know, you're just watching them do stuff. Um, but it is based on a novel by John Le Carre, who is the author who wrote um, the, the Man Who Came In From The Cold and probably his most famously uh, famous film uh, or novel that was adapted recently was uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And the film adaptation of The Most Wanted Man does very much resemble Tinker Tailor. Uh, and to be honest, I don't think that's a bad thing to say. Because um, I, di- I did like The Most Wanted Man. I did like it, even if it is a little bit like... Um, Kind of like a, lo- a lot of cliches dressed up in fancy clothing, to be honest. The lead character is a spy, but he's got a drink problem. Uh, he's got issues with connecting to people. Um, you know, the, the terrorists suspect it could be just a genuine refuge- refugee. You've got the, the young left-wing female lawyer, uh, played by Rachel McAdams, who, who's, who's pretty good, but she, you know, she just wants to help. And you've got the bank owner, played by Willem Dafoe, who's sitting on a load of blood money from his father's empire, and so on and so forth. It, the novel wasn't really adapted from a true story, more sort of themes and, and such. So so it seems a little bit of a shame that really it ended up with such ordinary characters in the film, although they are all performed excellent, excellently. Philip Seymour Hoffman's immense. If this is like his final lead performance, it's not a bad one to go out on, to be honest. It's a shame the film around him isn't as good as his performance. Um, and I know it's discussed in every review of this film, but it is, it is such a shame we won't see any more from him in these roles because he was a magnificent actor. Um, but also, I just want to point out that Nina Hoss, who um, herself was excellent in Barbara a couple of years ago, sort of really good indie, um, I think it was a German film. Um, she she sort of the, she plays the closest thing he's got to a friend, but he's really a colleague. Um, and she she was brilliant in this as well. So. They're both very subtle performances and um, worth pointing out, I think, because she says and does some questionable things in in a way that could almost pass you by, that you have to sort of stop and think about what she's done and what she said and what that could mean. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to make too big a deal out of Most Wanted Man. My my, my opinion kind of flickered back and forth since seeing it yesterday over how much I really enjoyed it. Um, You know, on the one hand, it was different to most other thrillers. It seemed uh, realistic, and the pace of it meant it didn't all... It didn't at all feel like uh, a two-hour film. Uh, on the other hand, it's the first film I've seen where I've noticed about five different people just get up and walk out after half an hour, 45 minutes, um, and just not come back into the cinema. So clearly, it's not for everyone. And, you know, it's just a it's a slow-burning espionage thriller along the lines of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So see if you think you'll like it, because you, you, you probably will. If it already sounds like the kind of film that might put you to sleep, then it more than likely will. So, I mean, it kind of is what it looks like it's going to be. And, you know, I'd recommend it to people who like Tinker Tailor. It's not as good, but it's worth a watch. Okay. Uh, that almost brings an end to the podcast for this week. Just a couple of things uh, before we go. First of all, Owen, what film are you going to make us watch? Um, well, I'm kind of going to give you a choice, and I'm going to push you towards one more than the other. Just, Secret just, Sunshine. Yeah. Oh, sorry? I was going to say, just yeah. pick that one, then. Uh, okay. Yeah, fine. I was going to say Secret Sunshine is a Korean film on US Netflix, one of my favourites that I've seen this year. But I'm going to push you instead, just because it's on topic, considering what we were talking about earlier. Double Impact, the Jean-Claude Van Damme film. 
on UK Netflix, uh, where he plays two different people. One's a sort of badass, and the other one's a like aerobics instructor. That's so, not there you staring go. it down, is it? How many times has he done that? Like five. It's a very. I'm thinking. I was trying to think which ones he's done. He's done in Replicant. Um, <laughs> yeah, they'll come to me as soon as we stop podcasting. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, he's done it a few times. But uh, uh, Double Impact is on. Netflix. Oh, and you're lucky because it's one of his better films as well. It's genuinely enjoyable. Okay. Uh, Our benevolent overlord has given us a decent John Claude Van Damme film to watch, yeah. Steve. Exactly. <laughs> and Owen's in charge of the quiz from next week as well, so. Yeah. The first answer won't be John Claude Van Damme either. Well, you uh, say that. But yeah, I say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm very tempted to make Carol watch Run for Your Wife again. <laughs> that's not your, that's not your jurisdiction, is if, it? If, yet? I, if I win, then, uh. I won't yeah. do it. You can't make me. <laughs> I'll make yeah. you watch it. Then you have to watch it. If I if I have to watch it again, then you have to watch it as well. Oh, fine. Yes. <laughs> I've seen I've seen him in EastEnders. I can't see him any worse. This is an hour and a half, though. I couldn't watch the omnibus on a on a Sunday, and that's a good <laughs> two hours. So anyway, uh, yes, our recommendations for next week uh, or for for this week ahead are uh, on Saturday. Morning at ten past uh ten past midnight on Saturday, it's a really Friday night. Channel four are showing the excellent Norwegian found footage film The Troll Hunter. Ah, uh, good. Yeah. So if you have not seen that, you bloody well should. <laughs> um Carol? Um I'm not really sure, to be honest. There's not really an awful lot on this week, is there? Uh, that's, (laughs) that's any good, to be perfectly honest. I, uh, I'm pretty much struggling here. Uh, why don't you go on to Owen and I'll, uh, come back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You forgot, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Owen. Uh, I'm gonna go for a classic, um, The Thing, the, uh, John Carpenter version. It's on ITV4, 11pm on Wednesday. Um, it's just a bloody good film, isn't it? It's one of those, every time you see it, you think, yeah, I forgot just how good The Thing is. So, that's my choice. As well as Double Impact on UK Netflix. And as well as Secret Sunshine on US Netflix. There you go. There's there's three. But the one on TV, the thing, on Wednesday. Right. Carol, come right. on. Good. Is that enough filler for you? Uh, well, yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, so on Friday, um, as well, on Film 4 at 11.05, uh, I haven't actually seen this on TV before. It's the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Which I really enjoyed significantly more than the, than the remake. The remake feels like an absolutely pointless exercise, uh, when this film is so good. It's, it is really, really good. Um, if you, well, if you like the book, you'll, you'll know pretty much what's coming, but it's really uncompromising and, and, uh, and Naomi Rapace is, is really good in it as well. So definitely recommend watching it if you haven't seen it. And even if you have seen the US one, watch this one because it's better. I was going to say, you know, US remakes of foreign films. They very rarely, very, very rarely work out well. I'm, no, I, mean, I, I think The Departed was okay, but not... I mean, in its own right, The Departed is fine. And probably, in its own right, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is okay, but it, it just seemed like an absolutely pointless exercise. Hmm. It didn't add anything. Have, have either of you seen I Saw the Devil? No. Mm, I think I might have done, but not for a long time. Yeah. Okay, because re- there's news this week that that's going to be remade by the guys who did The Guest and You're Next. 
And, you know, whilst I'm kind of excited that they're doing another film, part of me still thinks, what what's the point in remaking I Saw the Devil? They're not going to be able to do it justice. They're not going to be able to do it as good. Why bother? I don't know. Maybe I'm just really cynical. I am choosing, of course, a remake, but it's not for my recommendation this week with a thing, but that's okay. slightly different. Okay, so that is all for this week's uh, Failed Critics podcast then. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, some more film-related discussion. Um, so thanks to everyone who has listened, and uh, thanks to everyone who has contributed to the podcast and the website in any way at all. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.